0: It is great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. This morning, we're going to be launching a brand new series entitled The Returning King. Before I dive into that message, I want to give you a quick announcement about next Sunday. If you are someone who you would say you're in the category of, I'm curious about faith in God, that you haven't crossed over that line yet, or you're a brand new believer in Christ, maybe you've accepted Christ in the last few weeks here at Brazos Fellowship or somewhere else. Um, or you're someone who is a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while maybe, and you've got some questions about faith and you would just love a great place to process those questions, a safe place to be able to do that. You need to know about Starting Point here at Brazos Fellowship. It is an incredible place just for you. If you fall in any of those three categories, it's going to start next Sunday on the 18th during this service at the 10 o'clock service from 10 to 11. Um, and if You are interested, you can go to our website, brazzisfellowship.com, click on starting point, you can get more information about this discussion-led group. It's a place to process those kinds of questions, and also it's a place to register for the class, let us know, or uh, for the group rather, to let you have a place to be able to let us know you're interested and you'd like to come and attend, check it out. It's an eight-week Uh, Course, so uh, our six weeks rather, six weeks over the next six Sundays. So we encourage you to please check that out, be a part of that. So without further ado, we're going to dive into our first message in this new series as we look at the returning king. We're going to be looking at what does God say in the Bible about the return of Jesus Christ. Last weekend, we talked a lot about the end of the first coming of Jesus, and now we're going to shift our attention to what is it going to be like when he comes back. The the, uh, apostle Peter uses an, an interesting Uh, adjective for us, followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're not in that category yet, but he says you are aliens, you are strangers, you are, you know, out of your element, and you are living in a world that's really not your home. And he reminds us of this often, and this idea that you're passing through, and this is not your permanent place here. And I was thinking about that recently as I was reading about the world's most luxurious airline uh, ticket. It's offered by Etihad Airways, which is the national airline of the United Arab Emirates. And if you want one of these tickets, you will fly from New York City to Mumbai, and it is a virtual penthouse in the sky. You have your own bedroom with Italian linens, and you have a butler with turndown service. Yeah, no kidding, on the plane. And you also have a personal chef, like five star chef that will make you whatever you want there's a flat screen in your bedroom it also connects to a living room with leather sofas, another big flat screen TV so you can bench watch whatever movies you like and connected to that is a personal shower and bathroom you know just so you can freshen up before you get off the plane because you want to get that airplane off of you before you get off the airplane and then you have a concierge that will set up dinner plans for you when you get off the plane you know you want to don't have to fool with that, so you got somebody that's already got your dinner all set up for you. Now, if you want to do this flight, it's $38,000. It's a one-way flight, so if you want to get back home, you may have to slum it on first class on another airline, but anyway, you, (laughs) it's inexpensive, so I thought, wow, if, you know, Etihad wants to gift me a, a ticket, I would love to try it out sometime. I would never do it on my own, But one stipulation I would have is that the flight would have to end. I don't care how nice the flight. And and I, I believe we're all like this. How nice the train ride or the cruise liner or even the luxury car, riding in the nicest car. There's something in us. We are wired to seek a destination. Like, are we there yet? I want to get out, like, this is nice, but I'm ready to get out. We're like homing pigeons in that way is that we desire, we seek uh, to land in our destination. And there's something about us, in us, that feels that way about planet Earth. It's just not quite right. it's off, it's hard, it's difficult, It's, it's a struggle, we get heartbroken, there's lots of broken and bruised and hard pieces of this life, right? There's this feeling of we're not there quite yet. And Jesus actually speaks to this part of us when he's talking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. We were talking about this this last weekend. And when he was in the upper room with his disciples, we didn't talk about this this last weekend, but in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, John's the fourth of the the, uh, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look at chapter 14. This is just hours before his arrest and his trial and crucifixion, which is that next morning. And so he's together, together with his disciples and he's trying to encourage them. And whether you're watching this at home or you're here live, I bet there's been times where you need some encouragement from the Lord. This is exactly what he's giving, not only to his disciples at that moment, for that night, but also for us today. This is what he's offering to us. And I want to read this to you, starting with verse 1 of John chapter 14. It says, you must not let yourselves be distressed. He's treating distress or depression or difficulty... uh, emotional downness as a choice. Like, this is something you can change what you focus on, right? You you must not let yourselves be distressed. You must hold on to your faith in God and to your faith in me, Jesus says. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If there were not, should I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? It is true that I am going to prepare a place for you, But, he says, in the next part, but it is also true, just as true, that I am, let's say it together, that I am coming again to welcome you into my own home so that you may be where I am. It was so important to Jesus to make sure he conveyed clearly, unequivocally, without any question, undeniably, I am coming again. Just as I came the first time, it was prophesied and promised for thousands of years, I'm promising, I'm prophesying, I will come again. And when I come again, I'm going to bring you with me to my Father's house. And we are going to be there together forever. He is giving us that promise, He is giving reassurance that there is this place this destination that is coming now what's interesting is that if we fast forward a little bit over the next couple of days jesus is as i said he's tried convicted crucified and then three days later on sunday he resurrects from the dead appearing to his 12 disciples, and then later, or pardon me, to the 11 disciples. Judas uh, betrayed him, then later committed suicide, as we know from the, the Gospels. And then he appeared to over 500 individual people over the next 40 days. But we're told that over those 40 days, he spends a great deal of time with his disciples, teaching them and preparing for his exit from this world and what that's going to look like. Now, what's interesting, on day 40, his last day here on planet earth, he's spending time with the disciples, and apparently it was maybe right outside of town, right outside of the city of Jerusalem on a hillside somewhere. We don't know exactly. There's some speculation, but don't know exactly, but it doesn't really matter. They're standing there talking, and then he lays a big challenge on them, like, here's what I want you to be doing in the meantime, and then Before there was any time for follow-up questions or anything, it was like, hey, Jesus, yeah, so that raises a good question. then, what? Oh, my gosh, did you see that? He just went into the clouds. He disappeared. Oh, oh my gosh. So they're standing there. The 11, along with a bunch of other people, were told later, just a couple of days later in the upper room, there's 150 people, so maybe there's 100, maybe there's 150. We don't know, but there's a whole lot of people standing on this hillside going, oh, did you see where he went? Did you, was that him? Over- no, that's something else. That was a bird. Okay, well, where is Jesus? Is he coming back? What Was this just a trick? What is this? I mean, they had no category for it. They had never seen, you know, DC Comics. They didn't know who Superman was. They didn't know, like, what... what what is this 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 thing that we just saw oh my gosh they were so captivated with looking up into the sky trying to figure out what happened to jesus two angels show up this is the only time that i know of in all of scripture that angels show up and nobody noticed always in all the other cases when an angel shows up people fall on their face and think they're going to die because of the glory of god and the presence of god on those angels But these angels show up, and they're like, hello, hey guys, and here's what they say, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, here's what the angels say to the guys. They say, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? (laughs) I love the question. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will, let's say it together, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven the angels are there to say we are confirming and affirming everything that Jesus taught you about his second coming he is going to come back and he's going to come back in the same way that he left in other words visibly and bodily He's coming back and he's going to come back on the clouds. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to look at the great day of his returning and really talk about the things that we know about that day. There's lots of speculation and debate about it, but we're going to talk about the things that are unequivocally um, for sure bedrock theological issues about the return of Jesus next weekend. So this happens. And he's telling them, why are you looking up into the sky? In other words, this is not a good use of your time, guys. Don't be standing here waiting. And, and, and ever since then, people have sort of used their life like I'm just sort of in a waiting period. I'm just waiting until he comes back. I'm just going to wait and sort of watch the sky and we'll see what happens. And there was a challenge here of like, no, 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 you need to be preparing. You need to sort of get out and live your life. He's gonna come back, but don't you be too concerned about that. Go ahead and start living your life now in preparation for his return. So how do we do that? How are we to wait for him? This is the big question that this kind of raises and the question that Christians have been asking for really uh, thousands of years now. How are we to wait for him? And we have some very clear answers to this and clear instruction throughout the New Testament. Places like Titus two thirteen where this disciple of Jesus is helping us to understand, here is part of what our waiting should do for us. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying to you and I that our waiting for Jesus is the source of our hope. He is the source of our hope. His return is the source of our hope. In other words, hope is not something we conjure up with human effort. Like, yeah, just get more hopeful. Just just, just like manufacture it within yourself. No, hope is something we discover. We find hope in something, right? Hope is something we derive from something else, and God knew this about us. Jesus knew this about us. And he says, your hope in this life comes from the fact that Jesus is coming back and he is going to make all things hear me today he's going to make all things right he's going to make all things new he's going to make it all completed he's going to restore he's going to redeem everything all the things that he accomplished in his first coming will be completed in his second coming beautiful. And he's saying, and this is what I want you to dwell on and think about. This was so contradictory to the day in which Jesus taught and lived. In the Greco-Roman world, hope was seen as desperate measures by weak people to live this life. Jesus was the first one to elevate it as a virtue to live for, to say, no, people need hope. People need to live with hope, and people who have hopeless lives Live desperate, horrible lives. They make horrible decisions and they regret them later, and then they live with this spiritual vacancy within them. He's telling us we need hope. And when I say hope, let me define it for you. Hope is the anticipation of good not yet here, it's being joyful. Joy and hope go so close together, as a matter of fact. It's joyful over something that's going to happen. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. It's gonna be amazing, incredible, mind-blowing. We do not have human words for it. As a matter of fact, next week, we're gonna look at the great day of his return, and on week three, we're gonna look at our new home, our final destination. What is that gonna look like? Even the, the disciple, John, when he's writing the book of Revelation and giving us these pictures of heaven, he's saying it's kind of like this and it's sort of like that and it's kind of like, like I can't describe what my mind and my eyes are drinking in. I don't have categories for it, guys. I don't have words for it. It's unbelievable. It's next level. You have to trust me. It's nothing like you have ever seen and there will be a part of your soul that will say finally... This is the thing for which I was made. This is the place I was made to live forever. I fit here. This is right. This is perfect. This is the home that God made for me. All the consternation and disappointment and heartbreak that this life has brought, that will complete, and it will be beautiful. It will be awesome. Later, in his letter to the church at Philippi, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Citizens of heaven. This is where our citizenship is. This is where we belong. That he is the king of his kingdom and we are citizens of that kingdom. There's a reason why you don't feel completely at home here. This is the reason if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're already a citizen, he's saying. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are, let's say it together, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. There is an eagerness to our waiting. We're excited, there's an expectancy, there's a joy with it. Later, the Apostle Paul writes when he's writing his letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, those go together. Joyful people, usually are people with great hope. And he's saying, ah, I wanna show you where you have that eager anticipation, eager waiting for him. You wanna have joy in this life? You wanna have hope in this life? Focus on, set your mind on, think about, ponder often the things of God and the fact that Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, he tells us this. He says, set your minds, let's say that together, ready? One, two, three, set your minds on things above in heaven, not on earthly things, when Christ, who is your life, should consume your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in his glory. Now, you remember last week I defined glory for you that it is the visible manifestation of God's attributes and his character. That when Jesus comes, it's gonna be like looking into the surface of the sun, the glory of God and all of its power. Not like the first coming. The second coming is, he is going to come with such great power. And it's not just him, as we'll see next week. He will come with all, not just most, all of the angels of heaven will come with him. All of them. All of them. And they're all going to come at the same time. And those who belong to him will appear in his glory. The glory of God that he has implanted as you as his son or daughter will for the first time be seen You will be this glorious creature that God made you be. And it'll be an unbelievable moment. And it's going to happen, and we must prepare ourselves. And he says, you must set your mind on these things. You must ponder them often. Take time daily to think about these things. I remember back when Leslie and I were getting ready to buy our first house, very first house, many years ago. And uh, we went by there every day to look at it. We took pictures of it. We thought about it a lot, how we're going to decorate it. Well, that might be more Leslie than me. How we're going to decorate the house. And We would go sometimes and just walk the neighborhood like weird people. Like this is we're, we're sort of thinking about what's it going to be like when we live here? We're going to have access to these walking paths. And we're going to, we thought about it a lot. Like What's it going to be like living there in that house, having our own house? How cool is that going to be? We thought about it often. This is what Jesus is talking about. Think about it often. Here here are some other verses, other translations of this little phrase. Set your minds on. Think only about it. Keep your mind on it. Think about the things of heaven. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. He is the king over his kingdom. Think about a world where Jesus always gets his will done. Always. His goodness and mercy and righteousness, his beauty exudes from everything, everything, we get to live there, hello, am I the only one, this is unbelievable, hope and joy come from realizing this is a reality that will come to pass for those who belong to him, and if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, this is something to seriously consider for all eternity, to be with him, And this completion of his created order of being redeemed and restored and complete and beautiful the way he created us to be. And this is what he desires. And Jesus knew that this is something that our souls need to feast on often. It is nourishing to our heart to think about the things of God and think about the return of Jesus and think about living with him forever. Think about having a glorified body that will never wear out, never get sick, never has weakness. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's amazing. We are there in the new Jerusalem, in the sparkling city of God, living together with the presence of God. You will, for the first time, because you're in your glorified body, you get to see God's face for the first time. And there'll be this insatiable appetite for him to want to be with him, glorify him serve him it's the thing for which we were made it was the thing for which we were created in his genius we find our completion our purpose and meaning in him in him alone this is why the apostle paul later when he's writing to the church of uh, in the philippian church He says, you need to think often about those things that are noble and true and righteous and praiseworthy. Think about the things of God. Think about the place of God. Often, set your mind upon it. It is good for your soul. You need an escape from this world. You need a moment where you remember what is to come. That, that, that history is not haphazard. It is headed towards a determined point in time, and that determined point is the return of Jesus Christ, and he will come back, and he will judge, and he will rule over all of his creation. And that is, that is the truth. And maybe one of the most commonly asked questions about the return of Jesus is, when will Jesus return? When's that gonna happen? Lots of people have speculated Lots of of people have debated over this and made charts and graphs and all kinds of things. I remember, this is gonna date me big time, back when I was in college, there was a little book, kind of a pamphlet that was circulated all over my college campus. It it was said, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. Okay, that that definitely dates me. Well, guess what, he didn't come back in 1988, but there was some pretty cool 80s music that did come about. but other, other than that, I always argue with my girls, that was the best decade of rock right there. But anyway, um, th- that was uh, predicted, and then, you know, 12 years later, year 2000, there was all kinds of Y2K predictions, oh, Jesus is definitely coming back now. I mean, you got to get prepared, and, you know, and if he doesn't, then, you know, you know, get your survival kit together so you can live, because we're all going to be reverted back to the Stone Age after Y2K. You know, there's all that stuff going on, and and I'm telling you, right up to this moment, there are books that are being published that are telling us that he's coming back right now. He'll be back, you know, 2022. He's going to be back, and. Here's what we should probably start the conversation by asking Jesus, what did he say about the day which he will, when he will return? There's several places this is recorded in the New Testament. I want to point your attention to Mark chapter 13, verses 20, or 32 through 35. Here's what Jesus said. He says, About that day, or hour, no one knows well. Surely the angels know, not even the angels in heaven. Oh, well, I'm sure Jesus was just bluffing. He probably knew right at that moment, nor the Son. He's saying, in my earthly form right now, I don't know. I'm sure in his glorified form, sitting on the throne next to God, yes, he probably does. But only the Father. Be on, let's say it together, be on guard, be on alert. You do not know when that time will come. Therefore, let's say it together, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. I want you to notice this word owner right here, that Jesus was intentional about this metaphor of all of life being owned by someone else, and that someone else being God. Everything we have, our gifts, talents, Our money, our time, our children, our marriage, our hopes and dreams, everything, all of it is God's, all of it, and He is going to come back. In the Psalms, it says that He is the owner of all of creation, and everything that that can be seen, and everything that has been made is owned by Him, that He is the creator of all things, and He's coming back, and there will be an accountability for what we did with what we were given, and he says the owner of the house will come back, and whether it's in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, <laughs> nobody knows. It could be at any time. And we're going to look at some things next weekend that, that, that maybe some 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 signposts that might help sort of get us ready, but things to look for, but. At the end of the day, no one knows. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, but the day of the Lord will become like a thief. Some translations say a thief in the night. In other words, Jesus' return will be unexpected. Nobody knows. The moment somebody writes a book saying Jesus is coming back in 2022, you know that he's probably not going to come back on that day, right? That, he's already said, nobody's going to know. Nobody knows. Right, So in the meantime, he's asked us to stay alert, to watch, to be prepared. So how do we do that? I want to take us all the way back to where we started this message today. In Acts chapter one, right before, I mean moments before Jesus ascended and went into heaven, he issues a challenge to his disciples in verses six through eight. I want to read that to you. What did Jesus say to them, his last words before he ascended? Here's what he said, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, Jesus, clearly you are God in the flesh, that you are going to set up your kingdom on earth. The prophecy was all laid out in the Old Testament. They knew it was coming. They thought, man, you've resurrected. This is the perfect time and, and, and I've been following you for the last three years and my employer is not real happy with me right now, so I'd be happy to quit my job and I'll go to work for you. If you want to set up your kingdom, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'd love to work for you, Jesus. And that's basically what they're asking. You're going to set up your kingdom on, hev- on earth right now, your heavenly kingdom down here right now? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't you worry about that don't worry about the timeline. He goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And 10 days later in the upper room, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit of God came down upon them. And from that moment forward, that those who became Christians received the Holy Spirit at the time of their conversion. So if you're a Christian today, you already have this power of the Holy Spirit in your life that Jesus is talking about. And he says, and you will be my, let's say it together, you will be my witnesses, you will be my ambassadors, as we looked at last week, my representatives, wherever you go, right? In Jerusalem, this is the city they were in at the time, and in Judea, it's sort of like the county or the surrounding community, and Samaria, which is the neighboring county or you know, city over here. And he's, he's making these concentric circles. He's saying, whether we're talking about Jerusalem, Judea, or Samaria, or even to the ends of the earth, all the way out as far as there are people and there is land for them to live on, I want you to be witnesses. I want you to share the good news, the gospel with other people. What I have done, tell them that I have resurrected from the from the dead. And not only conquering my death, but yours as well if you place faith in me. That the Son of the living God has dawned on earth. He has lived a perfect life. He died for the sins of all humanity, raised to life so that he could give eternal life to anyone who places faith in him. This is the good news. And I want you to share this. I want you not just to share it with your lips, but share it with your life. I want to exude from the way you talk to people the hope and the joy that comes from you, the love. I want them to feel the love. I'm your source of love, your source of hope, your source of joy. Love, hope, and joy, right? I want you to exude these fruit of the Spirit wherever you go. I want you to share the story wherever you go. I want you to live like this. So How do we prepare for Jesus' return? Let me give you a quick synopsis of what we talked about today. First, we need to be prepared. Be alert, rather. Be alert. It is the idea of setting our minds daily upon him. It is taking time to consider God's kingdom here on earth, that Jesus is coming back, and we're gonna be a part of that. And there's gonna be a sense in which Um, Just like a woman going through labor pains, when the birth of that baby comes, a lot of this stuff, though we may remember it, it's all gonna just melt into the background of the beautiful new life we have in him. Think about it often. Be alert. Be aware. That's coming. Next, seek God. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says to seek first before anything else God's kingdom and his righteousness. The fact that you're a citizen of God's kingdom first before you're a citizen of anything else. That's the thing that defines your life first. He is your owner. He is my owner. We are his children, right? He says, first, think about you're a part of that kingdom. How should we conduct ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God? That we should be about his righteousness. What does he desire? What does he want done? That's what we should be doing. Seek that first, and he says, and everything else will be added to you. All the other things that you're gonna need, God says, I got you, I'll take care of it, but I need you to wake up every day and be focused on me, and when you do this, you will be prepared for my return. Yet Let it become a natural impulse of your heart. It's not trying to satisfy yourself with more stuff or accolades or achievement or somebody's approval or more money or more stuff, all that's going to be empty. Like, it's great. It can be a blessing in your life, but let the number one thing be God himself, his kingdom, his righteousness. And then finally, share him with others. While you still have time, don't get caught staring into the sky or anywhere else, anything else to captivate you under the, other than God himself. Be obsessed with with God. Be obsessed with His return. Let it become the most important thing in your life. The beautiful thing about letting this become your addiction, it's not a bad one. It cannot hurt you. It can only help you. It can only strengthen you. It can only prepare you for the life to come. It is beautiful in its fulfillment in your life. It is the thing for which you and I have been made, created to live like this.